We have been uh, working on a series throughout the summer called You Asked For It, and uh, all of these sermon topics have been uh, requested by all of you, uh, people of the Junction Church. I had a little bin out there, and people threw in all kinds of questions and things they'd like uh, me to speak on, and so I think this is the fifth or the sixth one. Uh, but the question today is, why did Jesus have to die? And so that's what we are going to discuss in our topic today. So, uh, Holy Spirit, we... We ask you to speak. And Father, right now we just ready our hearts for however you want to use this time, whatever you want to do. God, we, uh, we just lay ourselves before you. when he was born in Bethlehem was not the first time Jesus, if you will, existed. Uh, he is from eternity past. In John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning, the Word, the Word being Jesus, already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. The word Jesus became human. So when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, this is the word. God, who, who becomes human, is born in Bethlehem and, uh, of course, grows up and begins to live in this world. Uh, somewhere around 30, the age of 30, he begins to uh, kind of go into full-time ministry, if you will, and preaching and teaching and healing people and lifting up uh, the downtrodden and hanging around tax collectors and sinners and and, uh, and then eventually it leads up to this, this time where he is betrayed by one of his disciples. And he is arrested by the religious leaders. He is beat. Uh, he is whipped. He is stripped of all of, his, all, all of his clothes. He is led throughout Jerusalem. He is hung naked on a cross. And, and he dies. Now the question, of course, is why in the world did Jesus die on the cross? I mean, if this is... God who becomes human, uh, why in the world would, would, would God die on a cross? And this was not some sort of accident, that, that this wasn't like something God was like, what in the world is going on? I never knew this was going to happen. In Acts chapter 2, it says, God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed and crucified. This was actually part of the plan when God says, I'm going to show up and become human. In fact, in, in the scriptures, it actually talks about Jesus being crucified before the foundations of the world. This, this was all in God's plan, but, but, but why did Jesus die on a cross? I mean, if it was, was it just because uh, we needed to be forgiven? Because, uh, you know, I've forgiven a lot of people in my life, and I've never had to, to kill myself. I've never had to take my kids and, you know, crucify them in order to forgive you. I mean, we all know we can forgive without having to die. So, so why did Jesus die? Uh, did it have something to do with his, his blood being magical somehow? If, if it was, maybe, you know, why didn't he just slice his finger and put some drops of blood and say, there's blood, and, and now everything's okay? I mean, why did Jesus only spend three years in ministry and then end up on a cross? I mean, if you think about it, just imagine if he spent 20 years 
for 30 years teaching and preaching and healing people. I mean, maybe we might even think maybe that would actually be a better plan, but, but why in the world did Jesus actually die on a cross? Uh, because the idea of even Jesus dying on a cross was not an easy thing maybe for our culture today to swallow, but it was much more difficult for the culture back in Jesus' day and the early church to swallow this idea of a Messiah, Jesus being crucified. I mean, Paul in 1 Corinthians 1 says, we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. nonsense. I mean, a Messiah, a Savior, dying on a cross, which was only reserved for criminals and and slaves and the, and the most rotten of people, those are people who died on the cross. I mean, to the Jews, that was offensive. Like, no Messiah would die on a cross. A, a true Messiah is going to come and be a conquering king and remove the Romans and, and bring upon peace. And, and that's what a Messiah does. A Messiah is not going to die on a cross. And, of course, for the Gentiles, it's just like, that's just the weirdest thing ever. I mean, you know, some sort of Messiah or a god. A god would never die on a cross because they had all their gods. But, you know, a god doing that, you know, hanging naked on a cross, dying, that's... That is not something that God would do. It's, it's just nonsense. In fact, one of the earliest pictures we have of Christ on a cross is actually comes from this graffiti image from around 200 AD. And it's actually um, someone moxie, mocking Alexa Menos. It says Alexa Menos worships his God. And, and there's this picture of, a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a, a donkey figure hanging on a cross. And again, it was hard to swallow back then. And this is one of those ways we know that this was not something that man invented, by the way, because if you're ever going to invent a religion, this is not the way to do it. <laughs> I mean, you'd invent it in some other way because it just, seems, it just seems foolish to people back then and maybe to people today. So the question is, why in the world did Jesus die on the cross? Uh, why did, was, was that a plan from the very foundations of the world? Why did Jesus die on a cross? Well, Paul... Uh, in the midst of this foolishness, says this. The message of the cross seems like sheer nonsense to those who are on their way to destruction. But to us who are on our way to salvation, it is the mighty power of God released within us. Now, there is something about the cross that is just powerful. Uh, there is something about the message of the cross that, that it just transforms people for the good. And I've seen it so many times. It's one of the privileges of being a leader in the church because you get to meet people and you get to meet people who meet Jesus and all of a sudden you begin to see their life transformed. There, there's this, this power on the cross that, that really is unexplainable. It's, 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 it's brilliant. It's amazing. But the, there's power there. And so why did Jesus have to die? Uh, well, it can be very simple, the answer, in terms of, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, whoever believes in him, you know, shall not perish but have eternal life. The idea of, of Jesus dying on the cross, the message of the gospel is simple enough that, that a child uh, can, can hold it and, and believe it. In terms of Jesus said, let the little children come to me for, for such belong the kingdom of heaven. It can be very simple, but it can also be very complex when we answer the, some of the deeper questions. And it can be very complex in terms of the theological world. There's a whole realm of theology called the uh, uh, theology of the atonement. And there's all these atonement theories of, of why Jesus died. And maybe you want to get into all that. But in many ways, the crucifixion of Jesus is like a, a multi-faced piece of art. Or maybe a crystal that you can look at all different ways. You can, you can take that art and look at it this way. And you go, wow, that, that is amazing. But then you can turn it this way and go, ooh, I never saw it that way before. That is really cool. And you can turn it this way. And, and the cross is like that. 
I mean, there's books out there like 50 reasons why Jesus had to die or the 30 reasons or whatever. We're not going to have 50 points today. Um, but I just want to look at sort of three of the major ways you can look at the cross. Three of the major ways throughout church history that people have answered this question. Uh, so the first one is going to be dealing with a revelation of God's love. The second one has to do with the cost of sin. And the third one has to do with the defeat of sin, death, and darkness. And so, uh, first of all, uh, the death of Jesus reveals God's incredible love. When you read throughout the scripture, you often see that the cross of Christ, Jesus dying on the cross, is directly related to an expression of God's love. So one of the reasons Jesus had to die was God revealing his love for us. In Romans 5, it says most people would not be willing to die for an upright person. So someone might be perhaps willing to die for a person who is especially good, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we, will, we were still sinners. That God showed his love, how? Through the cross. How does God show his love? Well, one way is through the cross. The cross is one of the ways that God shows his love. In fact, we know that God is love by definition, 1 John 4, 8, that God is, is love. But how do you define love? How do you define what God is? How do you define the kind of love that God is? Well, you can go to 1 Corinthians 13, or maybe even more simply, 1 John 3, 16 actually tells us what this kind of love is. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So the very definition of God is actually... Uh, found in a crucified Jesus. And of course, the idea of Jesus dying for us is an act of love, which is always other-centered, self-sacrificial. And this is who God is. He is an other-centered, self-sacrificial God because he is, he is love. And so Jesus uh, shows us, uh, the crucifixion of Jesus shows us just inc the incredible love that God has for us because of the extent he went. Um, I'm going to show a video if you have the volume there, Robin. Maybe if you're a 90s child like me, maybe you remember this song. Maybe you know that song, probably you know that song, famous song. But uh, in the song, the idea is, you know, I, I would walk 500 miles. And I would walk even 500 miles more just to be the man who could walk 1,000 miles for you. I mean, that's pretty impressive. That you would love someone so much that you'd walk 1,000 miles. I mean, that's a long ways. That's a really long ways to walk. But if you really, really love someone, uh, you would walk that far. But if you don't really love them that much, maybe you'll drive or take a plane. And if you really don't love them all that much, I mean, you might walk a kilometer. Maybe you won't walk 10 feet. I don't know. But the sacrifice of something always shows how much you love somebody. Uh, I mean, one of the biggest phrases we have is, is you know, when, when people are really romantically in love, you know, I would die for you. It's one of the deepest, and there's songs about that, you know, I would die for you, whatever, whoever sings that song, I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's, it's this phrase, but, but here is God saying, I love you enough to, to actually die for you. Uh, you can see God up there saying, how can I show my people how much I love them? I mean, I can, I can send them a nice note. I could maybe take them out to dinner, uh, buy them a nice dinner. I could, you know, give them a kiss. I, I could walk a thousand miles for them to show how much I love them. 
Or I could show the ultimate sign of love that I would lay down my life for them. And so when we look at the cross, one of the things that the cross always should remind us of is that God loves me that much. Because there are times when we don't feel loved. There are times when we are listening to the lie of the enemy, which is God doesn't love you, or God hates you, or you've been in stuff and God doesn't like you. And all you got to do is just picture the cross in your mind, and you're reminded that God loves me that much. Not just to die for you when you're all good, but to die for you uh, while you're an enemy. Again, this is what Romans uh, 5 says, and this is the Passion Translation. He puts it this way. The anointed one came and died to demonstrate his love for sinners who are entirely helpless, weak, and powerless to save themselves. Now, who of us would dare die uh, for the sake of a wicked person? We can all understand if someone was willing to die for a truly noble person, but Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. In other words, Jesus says, I am going to express my love by dying for you when you're at your worst, <laughs> when you're messed up and you're ungodly. And so... Uh, if God loves you when you're at your worst, then, then he loves you now. And if you're here doubting God's love in any way, just, just look at the cross because it shows, it's undeniably that God loves me that much more than anyone else in this universe. God loves me. And so the cross is an expression of God's love. It's more than taking you out to dinner. It's more than walking 500 miles and 500 more. It's, I'm willing to die for you. So that's one way of looking at it. And, and the other twist of this idea of God's love is the cross actually becomes not only a picture of God's love for us, but also an example for us to follow. And, uh, and, it's, and it's used this, this way. In 1 John 3, 16, this is how we know what love is. We saw this. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, that love is other-centered, sacrificial, it's the kind of love God has. But then it says this, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And so this idea of of Jesus dying to show us how much God loves us, but it's also an example of how we're to love others. Because we always want to put limits on this. You know, you know, like the, the religious leaders. Well, who is my neighbor? I don't need to love those people. But here is Jesus dying on the cross for the sinners and ungodly and the worst of people. And then Jesus says, I want you to love like that. That's why the Bible says, love your enemies. Uh, love those and do good to those who don't do good to you. I mean, this is an example for us to follow. And, and you can, again, you can see God up there saying, how can I show my people the way I want them to love other people? Washing the disciples' feet was one way. But this becomes even a more powerful way because all of a sudden we have no excuse not to love. There's just no excuse. You see, Jesus died on the cross for the worst of the worst, me, you. Then, 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 then Jesus says, I want you to love like that. So again, when we look at the cross, we're reminded that's how much God loves me. But when we look at the cross, we're also reminded that's how much I am to love others. Yeah. Especially those who are maybe people I want to push away because that's who Jesus died for. Or John 13, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So it's a picture of God's love for us, but it's a picture of how we are to radically, radically love those around us. Now, secondly, another reason, another way to take that piece of art, the crucifixion, and twist it another way. And here's another way of looking at why Jesus had to die. And that is the, the death of Jesus frees us from the cost of sin, or the debt of sin, or the penalty of sin, however you want to put that. Uh, one of the common questions is this. Why couldn't God just forgive us? Um, 
we all know that we can forgive each other without having to die or having to, you know, shed blood or something like that. I mean, why didn't God just forgive us? Why didn't God just look at us and say, you know what? I'm not going to send my son to the cross. I just forgive you. You know, if you grab my phone and, uh, and you said, I got to make a call and then you, and you, you know, I don't know, there's someone horrible under there and you threw it on the concrete and smashed it. I could look at you and say, I forgive you. No problem. No biggie. I forgive you. Uh, so why couldn't God do that? Well, the reality is, when you take my phone and you smash it, and I look at you and say, I forgive you, guess who is stuck with the bill? Guess who has to buy a new phone? Guess who has to pay the cost? It's me. And it's exactly what God has done. God does say, yes, I forgive you, and I'm going to pay the bill. And this is why Jesus died on the cross. He is paying the cost. He is paying our bill. He's buying us a new cell phone, if you will, by saying, I forgive you, but there's still a debt. There's still a cost to mistake and sin and the horribleness of this world, and I'm going to pay uh, for that. Uh, we all just, we just have the sense of justice in us. That there is a part of God that is wired in us that when we see horrible things happen, uh, we just say, that's not right, and th there should be a cost. I mean, Maybe you see you know, some bullies on the playground bullying a little kid, and he's crying, and they steal his lunch, and they beat him up or whatever. We're just like, Ugh, that is awful. This is horrible. How can I look at it? There's got to be a cost I mean, uh, to that. Or you know, uh, someone rapes somebody or molests a child. I mean, we realize that, that we have the sense of justice, that, that there, it's got to be made right, that there, there's a cost to that, that uh, you know, you know, people can't just go rape people and murder people and then just go away and like, oh, everything's great. That we have a justice system, which isn't always perfect, but uh, we have this sense of justice from God because God is just. Isaiah 30 says, the Lord is a God of justice. Or Psalm 101, I will sing of your love and justice, Lord. He is the only one who's got perfect justice. But in order to be fully loving, you also need to be just. I mean, if you had a, a judge whom every single person who came forward to him, he just said, ah, don't worry about it. No, no biggie. You know, you know, a rapist comes along. Ah, serial rapist, no problem, no biggie, you know. It's, I mean, it just, we would say that judge is, is not good. That the judge is not being loving to, to, to society because true love has a, has a sense of justice. Though sometimes we have a hard seeing that in this world because our justice tends to be broken a lot of times or corrupt. Uh, but God has perfect love and perfect justice. And, and all of us, uh, we, have, we have done things. I mean, the, the Bible says, for, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Me, you, we have all thought things we shouldn't think. We've all done things we shouldn't have done. Uh, there are a lot of things we should be doing that maybe we're not. You know, we got lots of food and money in this country, and even if you can't pay your rent, we're still filthy rich compared to a lot of people in this world and, and, and you know maybe we should be doing more to help the poor and, and, and doing that kind of thing and so there's the sin of commission the sin of omission as they always say uh, but, but we all have sinned we've all, there, there's a cost when we hurt people and we've all hurt people badly at times and the Bible says in Romans 6 you know, the wage of sin is death but the gift of God is life in Christ Jesus our, our Lord and so um, God looks at us and says I'll forgive you, yes but but I'm going to pay for all your darkness. I'm going to pay for your cost. I'm going, to, I'm going to take it all so that you might be clean. And this is the idea through the Bible of substitution, which all the way goes back in the Old Testament through the sacrificial system and it all pointing to Christ. But this idea that, that Jesus takes our place, 
that Jesus takes our cost. A substitution could be seen maybe in, uh, in, in the story of a family maybe, uh, where you know, maybe the, the, the young kid in the family is always late for dinner every time. <laughs> and, and every time the mom and dad say, you've got to be on time for dinner. You have to be on time for dinner. And he's always, he's just always late, and he's late, and he's late, and he's late. And, and this day there's a special dinner. And so mom and dad say, you have to be on time for dinner. This is a special dinner. But he's late. In fact, he's really late in this dinner. And he finally shows up, and everybody's got their big plates full of food. And he sits down, and he's got a plate with a piece of bread on it. That's it. And he realizes in that moment that there was a cost to me just disobeying my parents time and time and time again. But in that moment, the dad takes his plate of food and gives it to his son, and he takes the plate of bread. And the dad eats the bread, and the son gets to enjoy the meal. That's substitution. That's taking a place. And this is what Jesus has done for us. Uh, we know we mess up. We know we're fallen. Uh, we know we hurt people. Some of us maybe here have done... Uh, really dark things that you would never tell anybody. And, and we know that there's a, there's a cost to, to that. But Jesus says, I'll take it. Every mistake, every darkness, every sin, every pain, uh, I'm going to take it. I'll take it on myself. And so we see in Isaiah 53, is that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. That there's this, this healing power that flows from Jesus that, that washes away our darkness and washes away our sin. In John chapter 1, it says, The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Or 1 John 2, 2, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. That, that somehow mysteriously on that cross, Jesus took the cost of all the sin of all the world upon him. Uh, Jesus even died for your mess up tomorrow. Because when you mess up tomorrow, Jesus isn't like, oh, i got to go back and die on the cross again because I missed that one. I mean, uh, he died for it all. Uh, all the sin has been covered. And so when we look to Jesus and say, will you forgive me? He says, absolutely. I will forgive you so clean, as far as the east is from the west, whiter than snow. In fact, it says God will forgive you so clean that even God forgets your sins, so hopefully you don't stir, stew in it. He, this is how clean he makes it, but Jesus says, I forgive you, but I'm going to take the bill. And so the cross is this image of God paying for the, for, the, for the cost of sin. And there was a moment on the cross where Jesus said, it is finished. All of your sins. Every piece of darkness, Jesus said, it is finished. Yeah. That's why Romans 8 can say that now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation from God towards you because it's been paid, which means you can really be free. Jesus said, I've come to set you free, uh, so live free. Yeah. You don't have to keep beating yourself up. And sometimes I meet people who are they're still beating themselves up with shame and guilt and because of some past mistake. It has been paid. Uh, Jesus has already been punished for you, so you don't have to punish yourself any longer. I mean, it's like, like a mortgage. Uh, I mean, those of you who have mortgages, imagine if you know, someone came along and just paid your whole mortgage off. Now, if someone paid your whole mortgage off, would you keep paying a mortgage payment? No, because it's paid. Yet there are so many people who are still trying to pay for their sin. Uh, followers of Jesus who are still trying to, to pay for it somehow. 
It is finished. Jesus says, it is finished. You're forgiven. God does not have con condemnation towards you to live in that freedom and forgiveness which Jesus bought for you. And so another way of looking at the cross is this idea that Jesus takes our place. He takes all the cost of our sin and he says, I'll forgive you and I'm going to take the bill. And so I hope you're living in that freedom that Jesus has purchased for you. Another way of looking at the cross, and this one is right from the early church. This was sort of their main way of looking at the cross. Uh, another way to look at the cross is that the death of Jesus breaks the power of sin, evil, and darkness. Right from the get-go, when Jesus was born, it seemed that the darkness wanted to take Jesus out. Uh, right from the get-go, we see Herod uh, trying to kill Jesus. And, of course, we know the story of all the firstborn, two years of, and younger, being killed in, in Bethlehem. Uh, they try to kill Jesus, so he has actually, he's got to flee to Egypt for a while. Eventually, he returns. Uh, he starts his ministry, and right off the bat, the devil spends 40 days tempting him. And then he begins to love people and heal people and teach people. And the religious world uh, tries to kill him, and, and, and they're, they're wanting to take him out. Again, darkness just seems to be wanting to take Jesus out throughout his whole ministry. And then he is betrayed. And John 13 actually says that Satan filled the heart of Judas. Satan himself is breathing down the neck of Jesus, trying to take him out. It's, it's, it's almost like Jesus was alluring the darkness to some moment. And then he is beat, he is whipped, he's hung on a cross, he is nailed, and it seems like darkness, I mean, to everybody, it would just be like darkness has won. The one who loved people and healed people and had amazing, he is dying on a cross. It seems like darkness has won. In fact, Especially in Matthew 27, 45, it says, From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. And so as Jesus was dying on the cross, it just it, it came, became dark. It's just like Jesus was alluring darkness. Darkness was coming around him, and he dies uh, on the cross. But then we know three days later, he rises from the dead. And all of a sudden, he's, he's, like, he's, like, he's been alluring the darkness and all of a sudden, by, the, by the, the resurrection, it's like, boom, the light shines, and darkness is defeated, and darkness is scattered because of the resurrection. Uh, it's, it's a whole new world after the resurrection. Everything has changed. The power of sin is no more. The power of Satan is no more. Uh, the power of, of death is, is, is not the same as it, as it was before the cross. There is something mysterious in the defeat of darkness, sin, and Satan uh, on the cross. And we see this throughout the Bible. Hebrews 2 says... Only by dying could he break the power of the devil, who had the power of death. There's something in the crucifixion of Jesus that, that breaks the power of the enemy over the stronghold of death. Galatians 1.4, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. Or Colossians 1, he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. There is something about the cross that defeats the power of darkness, that defeats the enemy, that defeats the power of death. And, and we just see this. I mean, even just practically speaking, um, I mean, there are times, like as a pastor, you get called to, you know, places that are haunted by ghosts or, you know, some of them, you know, or demonic manifestations or evil spirits. And, and, and the power of Jesus and the power of the cross is just stronger. It's just weird how it works. And maybe it's not weird because Jesus did this, but the power of the cross is stronger than evil spirits. Uh, the power of the cross is stronger than darkness. 
And of course, the power of the cross is stronger than death because even though one day we're going to die, we live. Amen. Jesus said, even though you die, you live because of the power of the cross. And so there's the defeat of, of sin and darkness as he allured the darkness. The resurrection chain changes it all, and, and, and there's light. Uh, Romans put it this way, puts it this way. Because maybe you're asking, well, if he even defeated darkness, then why does it still seem dark in this world? If he defeated the devil, why does it seem he's still, a, still active? Well, Romans puts it this way. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Last point, as we made. Because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. That the law of the spirit who gives life is now stronger than the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is still working on us. It's still trying to pull us down. But the law of the spirit of life in Jesus and light and goodness is stronger than the law of death. I like to put it this way. It's like a, a passenger jet. As it goes down the runway, you get speed. The, the, the force of gravity, which is kind of like the law of sin and death, is trying to pull that plane down. But eventually, when that plane gets fast enough, the power of the engines breaks the power of, of the law of sin and death, the law of gravity. And, and now that plane can soar. The law of gravity, the law of sin and death, is still trying to pull that plane down. But the plane can soar because of the power of the engine. And this is us and Jesus. The law of sin and death is always pulling on us, but when you integrate the cross into your life, you say, Jesus, I surrender to you. I open to you. I, I want to be a follower of you. There's something also that gives you an engine. It's called the Holy Spirit, and, and the Holy Spirit gives you the power to overcome the forces of evil and death and destruction. And sometimes we lose a little steam and go down, but, but I mean, we're sailing in Jesus. Amen. I mean, the death of, cross was, uh, of Jesus on the cross was like, was like D-Day in World War II. Once D-Day happened, I mean, the Allies knew they were still going to win. The victory was assured, but they still had to defeat the enemy. It's like the cross of Christ. It assures the defeat over darkness, evil, and sin. Victory is assured because of Christ, but there's still a battle to be faced. And so this is another way of looking at the cross of Christ. Let's get invite uh, worship team up. Let's take a moment in, uh, in reflection here. <clears throat> Father, we, uh, we come before you now. Acknowledge your presence here in this room. First of all, we want to acknowledge your love for us. And God, we just ask in our hearts, is, is there any area of my life where I'm doubting your love for me? Is there any area of my life where I'm doubting in your mind as you look at the cross from the stage just picture Jesus doing that of his love for you and 
allow the love flowing from his eyes to just connect with your being for a moment. loves you so much that he sent his one and only son to die for you. And just take a hand as you're standing there, sitting there, just take a deep breath. Do you feel any weight of sin in your life right now? Is there any heaviness? Are you feeling any shame? Jesus says, I want to I take that from you today. I want to take that from you and set you free. The Bible says if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So just take a moment and just confess whatever that darkness is and ask for his forgiveness. to you is you're forgiven. There is now no condemnation. It is finished. The work of Jesus on the cross is that good. Just take a moment. Is there, do you sense any darkness hovering over your life, over the life of your family? your business. Some of your things that you're just involved in, is, it seems the work of Satan or darkness is just crouching at your door. And just take a moment to climb into the jumbo jet of Jesus and just see that darkness dissipating because the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and darkness. Allow the light of Jesus to push away that darkness. So, Father, we thank you, thank you, thank you for the cross. forgiveness, your power, your work in our lives. Such amazing grace. Now stand as we respond.